0: So great. It's a privilege to be here. And some of you that I didn't see last week, um, we had an amazing break. And it's so good to be back here. And uh, privilege to be speaking to you today. The worship was amazing. And we're going to worship some more at the end. And um, how many of you know what day today is? Palm Sunday. I was thinking you know, in South Africa, when we have Palm Sundays, there's palm um, branches all over the place, but uh, I've noticed I try to grow a palm tree outside of my place, and it doesn't grow too well in the snow. So I figured um, we'd uh, just have to imagine what was going on on that Sunday. And uh, this is the beginning of the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. It's a very important week. And you can read all of this in the Gospels. Uh, we'll put up that, those scriptures there where you can find them. Um, if you look, uh, starting in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12, uh, tells you what Jesus did on that la- last week. And um, as we prepare for next week, and uh, next Sunday, obviously, we'll be here, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, but as you prepare for that, for... for um, This week, I'd encourage you to go through, uh, these passages. Uh, they're powerful. Um, I always think of the scripture of Jesus Christ and that, um, in Hebrews 12, um, I think it's three or four where it says, um, uh, who for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. And after He'd done that and He was risen from the dead, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. For the joy set before Him, the joy wasn't the pain of the cross. He knew he was going what He was going to go through this whole week, this whole time, His whole life, He knew that He would pay the price for our sins. But He counted it all joy. That's an amazing thing. I've spoken joy and we, we spoke a bit about things that uh, last week on the difference between condemnation and conviction. I encourage you, if you are struggling with condemnation, uh, I ask and encourage you to go and listen to that message, not simply because I preached it, but because it it reminded me the difference between the two. And, um, and uh, so next week, I encourage you to come along, bring your friends, and it will be not only a a service on the resurrection, but an amazing time to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even though it's Palm Sunday today, uh, in looking and and preparing for this, I felt I'd love to look at an event that actually happened the day before uh, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So this is the day before Palm Sunday, and it's found uh, in John um, 12 verse 1 is 7, the, the passage I want to read. And this is how what John, John writes. He says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now remember, John's gospel is a one-on-one eyewitness account. So John is writing what he actually experienced with Jesus Christ and the disciples. Uh, here a dinner was given in honor of of, uh, Martha, uh, of, of in, in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with them. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas, Judas Iscariot, Whom would later betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself uh, to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume, for the day of my burial. This was, even though Mary didn't understand it, this was a prophetic act of what would happen um, on his burial day. Church, I've read this over and over, and it's absolutely amazing. Picture of unconditional love and worship held in honor, a dinner held in honor of Jesus. And during that dinner... Just spontaneously, Mary is so overwhelmed with love and gratitude that she performs this extravagant act of worship. She takes her most valuable possession, a pint of nod perfume. And I looked that up. Uh, it's a weird word, nod, but the actual word for it was spike nod. And it was, a, uh, it, it was from a plant that grew at the base of the Himalayan mountains in northern India, an incredible, incredible fragrance. And they would pick this nod, and they would make it into Persia and it would have to go all the way through the spice roots and so on into the Middle East and therefore was very, very uh, expensive. It's worth a year's wages, the Bible says. She breaks it open, she pours it on Jesus' feet and she gets down on her knees and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Just imagine that. What gratitude, what worship for this amazing man. You see, Mary didn't care about the cost. Reading up about and studying about this passage, uh, many of the um, writers believe that um, this was part of her dowry, that this was her future investment. A year's wages in this perfume. And she may have been keeping that for a day that she may need it. But on that day, as she looked at Jesus in full gratitude for what she had done, he had done for her, for Lazarus, and for her family, she pours it out. She didn't care what people thought. Can you imagine what people around there thought of this woman on her knees crying and sobbing as she pours this out and she's got her hand, she's Mopping the floor and what she must have looked like after that. Because she didn't care. Because she was so thankful and overjoyed for what Jesus Christ had done for her. Jesus Christ has done a lot for us, church. And in the Old Testament, we see another extravagant worshiper, David, the king of Israel and. Amazing that Andy read that Psalm 63. Write it down. It's an amazing psalm of worship. This man was an extravagant worshiper. He loved God. He loved God with all his heart. He wasn't perfect, he made mistakes. But speaking of Paul, speaking of David, Paul reciting the history of Israel in Acts 13, when he gets to David and Saul. He writes this, simply says this, Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified, not Paul, God testified concerning him. This is what God says about David. I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now Jesus said that time will come, In John chapter 4, that people will honor me with their lips, but their hearts will be far from me. But he looked at David in the midst of all his mistakes, in the midst of his ups and downs, and heights of glory and depths of depression that David went through in his life as he was being pursued by Saul. And he says, This is my boy, he has my heart. And he will do everything I want him to do. Even though he failed, he knew what he had to do, and he always repented. You see, David was a worshiper who longed for the presence of God and for the return of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was kept in the Holy of Holies, in the tent of the tabernacle, and uh, where the presence of God was. I don't want to speak on that. It's such a big subject. But we see in 1 Chronicles 13, chapter 1, uh, 13 um, verse 1 to 3, this is an amazing picture because David realizes at this stage or acknowledges that the Ark of the Covenant is not with the people. And so he confers with his officers and the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds. He, he then sent to the whole assembly, It seems If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns, pastures, to come join us. Let us bring... The ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it. This is the crazy thing. During the reign of Saul, Saul reigned 40 years. And for 40 years, the people of God lived without the presence of God in their midst. And maybe didn't even know the difference. And this is what A. W. Tozer said about the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. If God was removed, if God removed the Holy Spirit from the church, most would carry on without even knowing the difference. I know we have people of the Presence Church, but we can go deeper still. We can start being extravagant about our God. You know, one of the fears. I travel a lot and I go to many uh, churches and. And um, one of the fears, and for us too, is that we begin to rely on outward trappings. They are there to help us and to bring us in. And there's this quest in churches always to have better lighting and better this and better that. And we need it and we want it. But sometimes that talk seems to take away from, man, we want the presence of God within our midst, within our lives, like Mary and David. And this is what David did. I want to see an act of extravagant, extravagant worship. 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 15 tells us, go and read the the whole chapter. It's about the bringing back the ark. This is the second time he tried, the first time he did it in the prescribed way God told him and and it ended up in a bit of a disaster. Goes to obed even's house. It's therefore again, David inquires of God and finds the correct way to bring the ark back. So the ark is on its way back, and every six or ten steps, carried on the priesthood of all believers, uh, the priests. Now remember, in the old covenant, the priests were a separate uh, entity to the rest, the Levites, from the rest of the tribes. But under the new covenant, we are all kings and priests. We are the priesthood of all believers. So when we're looking at the Old Testament, we're looking at a picture of the new covenant where the priesthood of the leaders are to carry the presence of God. As a royal priest did in those days, and every 10 steps or so, they would stop and sacrifice a bull. Can you imagine how long it took? To do that, they were so grateful for the presence of God coming there. So David is uh, in front of this, and he's looking around, and the children of Israel have come, and they're celebrating for forty years. No presence of God in the midst of God's people. Can you imagine that? And so they begin to celebrate, and David does something incredibly crazy, and I won't do it here. 2 Samuel 6, 14, 15. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord. He wasn't just going like this. Oh, thank you, Jesus, or thank you, Jesus, or thank you, Jesus. He was dancing with all his might. David was a mighty warrior. This wasn't a... a, a a guy that didn't know about might and power. He had slain lions. He had slain Goliath. He had ridden, men. And he was dancing. When they say with all his might, I cannot imagine how crazy he was going. He was so happy. And God said, that's my boy. He's got my heart. He loves me. He loves my presence. He loves me. And while he here all Israel, were, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark with shouts of joy and sounds of trumpets. Now another thing is happening at the same time that David is this, his wife was looking down, and while she was looking down on him, she got embarrassed for him. I don't think it was, uh, I don't know, her motive or anything. But she was embarrassed. We can sometimes be embarrassed when people are done in the presence and they start crying and snot's running out of their noses and they're lying on the floor. Oh, jeez, look what she's doing or he's doing. And so he gets home and she confronts him about this. It's a whole story. You go and read it yourself. And this was David's response. She said, I, "He said, she said she embarrassed him. He embarrassed himself amongst the people and the slave uh, woman and all of that. Uh, they must have been laughing at him. And this is what he says: "It was before the Lord. It was before the Lord. You chose me rather than your father, or anyone from his house, when he appointed me." Ruler over the people of Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I'm not worshiping people. I'm not worried about what they think. I don't worry about what they care. It was before the Lord. Church, Western society is a very conservative in many ways. We, we don't express ourselves well. I'm telling you, I'm going to be in uh, Africa in a few months and then January going to be in Haiti. And the last time I was in Haiti, uh, I was there in a church, corrugated tin church, about this long, uh, maybe not as wide, packed, packed, packed. You can imagine a corrugated tin church, no air conditioning, packed of people in Haiti. You could cook a turkey in that thing. <laughs> so I'm in the front there. They, they do different things. So I'm sitting on a chair in the front with the pastors and all of that. And uh, the worship starts. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. They are singing and dancing and celebrating in this heat. So the the pastor eventually gets him to calm down a bit. And um, he says to me, you know, you need to get up and preach. So I said, listen, you know, uh, they've worshiped a whole long time. Are they not tired? You know, maybe we should. This was awesome. I'm just glad to be here. And he said, listen, if you don't preach for an hour, they'll think you have nothing to say. (laughs) And I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. (laughs) Smash that clock, (laughs) lock the doors. Extravagant worshippers. Extravagant. Extravagant. Church, God wants us to express our joy. Why is it so easy to do it of a silly little cup called Stanley? If we won that on a Saturday night, church would be empty. Everybody still be partying in the streets. Why? It's not that we can't do it. We can. But we're worried about what people think. We're worried about what it looks like. And God is looking at our hearts. And yes, when the Holy Spirit moves, let me tell you something, there is always excess. There's always excess. But that's because the Holy Spirit is moving For there to be a counterfeit, there has to be a real. You can't counterfeit a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. It's real. And the Holy Spirit will try and discredit what God's doing by a little few things that may be the flesh and all of that. The Pharisees themselves told Jesus that you're of the devil because you're casting out demons. Amazing. Because when Jesus moved and when Jesus went, demons fleed. They could not handle it. They even begged to go in pigs and run into the sea. The power of God and God, the world is too strong for a powerless church. The world is too strong for a church without the presence of God. And this is a place where we come and we encourage one another with love and good deeds so that we can go and be the salt and light. In my name, you will lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. You will cast out demons. You will raise the dead. You will drink poison. You go to some of these countries, you don't know what you're eating. And their their, their, uh, constitutions are sometimes ready for the food. And they just munch away, in and you have one teaspoon. But we need to understand that we go on the authority of Jesus Christ, His power and His anointing. And we've got to see the church arise in power. The church is not meant to be a spectator sport on a Sunday. The church is meant to come together to be empowered to every day through cups of water, through hugs, through love, through visits in hospitals, through all of those things that Jesus says in Matthew 25, to go and be the church. We could change the city upside down in the power of Jesus Christ if we will get over ourselves. I'm too embarrassed. Amen? And he said this, and I will become even more and dignified than this. The next stop was nakedness. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I don't mind being humiliated. I'm not worshiping people. I don't worry what they think. I'm worshiping God. And if I'm going to be humiliated, it's cool with me. But I will not stop this. And if it means for more of the presence of God and more of his anointing and more of that in my, for my people in this kingdom who has not had the presence for 40 years, I will do whatever it takes. That's what he's saying. Amen. Amen. See, church, David understood the mercy of God throughout his life. Mary was so grateful. That Jesus had raised her, her brother from the dead. So grateful. And when he was there, without thinking, just overwhelmed, she goes, she doesn't tell anybody, she just does it. And she pours out uh, $40,000, $60,000 worth of perfume on his feet. And Judas, a religious dude, or... The thief says, jeez, what a waste. What a waste. Worship is never a waste. And we can never be extravagant enough, I don't believe. You see, we too have lots to be grateful for. And over this week, we're going to think about it. I pray this is Holy Week. We need to get back to the traditions of the church it's a powerful week of meditation and remembrance. It's not an event on Friday where we go to the downtown, and I pray that you do. And there's an, over, uh, there's an overflow area for people with no seats. So if you want to go, there'll be a place, even if it's not in the auditorium. You see, we were spiritually dead we who are spiritually dead have been made alive in Christ. And because of Christ, our names are written in the land's book of life and we'll spend eternity with Him. And last week we spoke of this scripture and I uh, put it in a game because it just overwhelms me. I think it's one of the scriptures that I quote most here, this, uh, this uh, and uh, Philippians 2. But I just want to remind us who we were. Just like uh, Lazarus, if we could have it up there, thank you. We were dead. And it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, that's every single one of us, also lived amongst him at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of God's love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. The resurrection of Lazarus was a sense of prophetic picture, all lining up with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We are alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, church, in an incredible act of sacrificial love, on that rugged cross, Jesus took upon himself the sin and sickness and disease, all of it, all of it, and paid the price for our sins. 1 Peter 2, 22, Peter looking about back on the life of Jesus. A lot of these things in, in Peter's writings at the end of his life are contemplating on his walk with Jesus 30, 40 years before. He's on his way himself a few years later to be crucified for his faith in Rome. But he writes, and you often can see in, his, in, the, uh, in, in the epistles a lot of stuff that happened in Jesus' life. And he must have been writing, and these memories were coming back to him. And thinking of Jesus in 1 Peter 2, 22-25, he says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in him. And when they hurled insults at insulted him, Peter was in the guard, in the courtyard. Jesus was getting insults hurled at him, and he was denying Christ. Another corner. We know, amazing story of restoration. But he was watching them. This is an eyewitness account, what he's talking about. They were hurling insults at him. This is what Peter says. Not like me and others, yet he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. Church, this has got to make us grateful and excited. In his body on the cross... So we might die to sins and live for forgiveness, and by his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. In John 10, Jesus speaking to the disciples, and you see where Peter gets this from. John 10:11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. They had no idea what he was talking about until afterwards, where he took upon our sin, our sickness and disease on that cross. He took everything, all of my stuff, all of my guilt, all of that stuff, all of my condemnation upon himself, the sin of the world, he took upon him. And when he had an opportunity, uh, he had two choices on that cross. He could have said, Father, get me off this cross. I'm not going through this. Or he said, could have said, which he did say, Father, forgive them. Forgive Mike. Forgive Joe. Forgive Andy. Forgive Paul. For they know not what they do. And in that, he sealed the salvation of all who would repent and believe in him. We read Paul in Colossians 2, 13 to 15. This is what he says. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and uh, and condemned us, he took our sin away nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them on the cross. When he came in, this was a triumphal um, um, passage into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. It's called the Triumphal in- Entry. What happened? On, on, the, on the Monday... On the Sunday, they're laying down palms, saying, Blessed he who comes in the Most High, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna actually means, Lord, save us. And on Friday, they shout him, crucify him. What happened? When they were saying, Lord, save us, they were hoping that Jesus would save them from Roman oppression. They were hoping that he would come in and this this revolution would start. And And he would the Romans would be kicked out and the kingdom of Israel would be restored. But he did not come to do that. And often we have expectations of Jesus that are wrong. Come to Jesus, he'll make you better. Come to Jesus, he'll make you rich. Come to Jesus, he'll let you live like you want, and you can just say sorry and go to heaven. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus actually said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In Isaiah 43, the prophetic, many prophetic um, pictures of Jesus Christ in Isaiah says, fear not. For I, who's I? Jesus Christ, I have redeemed you, and I've summoned you by name. God is calling your name. He knows you. And he says, when you walk through the fires, you will not get burnt. He didn't say, when a fire starts, call me, and I'll just, and it'll be gone. You will walk through some fires. When you will come through the floods and they overtake you, you will not drown. For I am with you. I've summoned you by name. And that's the thing that we have that the world doesn't have. I don't know how people in the world cope without Jesus Christ living inside of them. Trying to figure everything out here. Because often it's a, it's a, faith is a faith of the heart. You know that you know. All the wheels are falling off, but God is with you. God is with you. And he's the hope of glory. And I pray that uh, we will get a revelation of that. You see, church, for all eternity, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. And when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us from all unrighteousness. And I believe today God is knocking on hearts of people. I believe that right now. You may have come here for whatever reason, but God loves you. And God wants you to become part of his family. The others here who may be doubting their salvation, I believe that's the voice of the enemy. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to worship him. And I say this we often we call people up for salvation. But I just feeling that if you need if that's what you want to talk about, I feel that if you come with somebody or you know somebody, you can come chat to me. We'll speak to you about it. And lead you through the process of regeneration, being born again. But I want us to worship now. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for our sickness, our disease, depression, oppression. And when he finished the job, he said, it's finished. And the word of God says this, put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness and despair. We might be feeling heavy. Desperate and in despair today. The answer is not going to be found in ourselves, it's not going to be found simply in any medication, and we should take those things, but it's in Jesus Christ. So, today, for a while, we have about 20 minutes. I'm saying, can we raise our voices? It doesn't mean you have to jump up and down if you want to do that or we'll kneel on the floor because it's a heart. But can we lift our eyes above all the stuff we go in our eyes are through and fix our eyes on Jesus? For this moment, as we remember this holy week, as we remember this, and with a, with a heart of gratitude, just worship Him from the bottom of our hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, church.